tells us, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. In other words, although you already know this topic, there's no need to say that you should not be reminded of it. Amen? The other verse is in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2. The Word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and verse 2, And if any man thinks that he knows anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. Very humbling verse. You see, as Adventists, when it comes to certain topics, we tend to tune out when we hear them being presented. When it comes to the Sabbath, Daniel chapter 2, these certain messages that we've heard over and over and over, we tend to think there's nothing I could possibly learn more than what I already know on these topics. But the Word of God, God himself is speaking to us this morning and saying, humble yourself. Because whatever you thought you knew, you know it not as you ought to know. Amen? With that being said, humble yourself and listen to the message. <laughs> Let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for another day. Thank you for this Sabbath that we could come together to worship you. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful opportunity of being able to present your word. Father, I pray that you speak through me and hide me behind your cross. May this be your words and not my own. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look around us today, all the events that are taking place, the different things that are happening, it's not hard to see that we are living in very perilous times. With all the detention between nations, we sit back, we don't know the outcome of where we are headed. We don't know what tomorrow may bring. Add that to the stress of work, the stress of our financial obligations, and it's easy to become overwhelmed and stressed by our daily lives, is it not? We're living in a very stressful time. New technology is constantly on the move. And they build these things saying that it will make life more productive and better. But in reality, it seems like the more new technology we get, the more stress we get with it. Isn't that right? But you know, in the midst of all the commotion of life, the Lord has given us a message for today. And this message is found in Psalms chapter 46. Psalms chapter 46 and verse 10. The Bible says in Psalms 46 and verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. So the Lord has a message, even through the midst of all our commotion of daily life, to be still. In other words, pause. Take a chill pill. Just relax for a minute. 
But not only are we commanded to relax and to pause, but we are to pause with something in mind, and that is that he is God. In other words, no matter what you're going through, do not forget who I am. Amen? Do not forget that I am greater and bigger than all of your problems. But to remember that, oftentimes we need to pause. But in our busy schedule, we don't take enough time to pause to remember God when we're in the midst of a crisis. Therefore, our attention is diverted from God to the problem, and our problem appears bigger in our perspective than our God that created us. This is why we often find ourselves so stressed. But if we would only take that time to pause and remember that he is God, how much of a difference will we have in our outcome? You know, this, this command to pause and be still, to remember that he is God, it reminds me of a story. This story is actually found in the Old Testament. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. Once again, we're going to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we'll be beginning in verse 11. When you're there, please say amen. amen. 1 Kings 19 and verse 11. The story is told. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains. Now, to give you a little background, this is Elijah. And he's waiting for a message from God. He's told to go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. A great and strong wind rent the mountains and break it in pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire... A small voice. Of all the ways that a mighty and magnificent God could make himself known to us, we would expect it in some miraculous manner. But yet he chose to speak to Elijah in a still, small voice. And God is the same yesterday and today. If he spoke to Elijah in a still, small voice, I believe he still speaks to his people in that same still, small voice. The problem is we pray to God asking for something to change in our lives. And the reason we don't hear his answer is because we do not take the time to listen. We don't pause and listen out for that still, small voice. We're expecting God to reveal himself in the earthquake. That he's going to make us pause in the midst of our commotion. But if we don't take the time to pause to listen, we will not hear him. You see, God wants quiet time with us. He wants us to take that time to listen out and hear what he has to say. Turn with me to the book of Exodus. And many of you know where I'm going with this, and that's all right. Because as we read, I've got to keep you in remembrance of the things that you once thought you knew. We'll turn into Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Exodus 20, verse 8. 
and I'm sure all of us are very familiar with this verse. We are told, remember the what? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, many of us read this verse, and we say, this doesn't apply to me. I keep the Sabbath. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. The Sabbath is reflected right in the title of who I claim to be. However, was this verse written simply for those who do not keep the Sabbath today? You know, as a matter of fact, I believe this verse is more applicable to us who claim to keep the Sabbath. He's saying, remember the Sabbath, not just to come to church, but to keep it holy. You see, it's more than just coming to church. This is a special day. It's a day of relationship. We'll look at, a, at this a little more as we go on with the sermon. But in verse 9, he says, Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt do no work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. Amen? Amen. Nothing new to us, right? We are told in Child Gardens, page 535, often the father hardly sees the faces of his children. If that was not applicable to us today, I don't know what is. Remember, this was written some time ago, and life has only gotten more busy since then. It says, often the father hardly sees the faces of his children throughout the week. He is almost wholly deprived of opportunity for companionship or instruction. But God's love has set a limit on the demands of toil. Amen? Amen. Over the Sabbath, he places his merciful hand. In his own day, he preserves for the family opportunity for communion with him with nature, and with one another. Amen? You see, we all live these busy lifestyles today in the times we're living in. However, there's no excuse. Because if we do not find the time throughout the week, God has set apart a whole day that we can have communion with him. You see, the Sabbath is a special day to the Lord. And we need to remember that. You see, I think as Seventh-day Adventists, being that we come on a weekly basis, it becomes more of a routine for us to come to church on Sabbath than it does anything else. And when it comes to the Sabbath truth, we do not think of that as present truth. That's old news. You see, within Adventism, there's this constant temptation to want to be original, to want to bring some new light to the table that will astonish and blow everyone away. Is there anything wrong with that, per se? We should be seeking for new light, amen? I believe that this church has been blessed with much light that the rest of the world has not been given. And we have a special message for the world at this time. However, it's easy for us to take this light for granted because we've been walking in it for so long. And we should constantly be looking for the new light that God has to offer. I believe that we will continue as a people to grow in light right up until Jesus returns again. But our search for new light should not cause us to neglect the light that God has already given us. 
We should not look at it and despise it because we've heard it so many times, but rather we should be established in the truth that God has given us. God gave us the Sabbath at Eden. He also gave us marriage at Eden. And these two things have gone on. We've seen an attack on marriage, the biblical definition of marriage, and we're soon to see an attack on the Sabbath. Is not too long far from now. But I want to jump forward to a time, not forward from our time, but forward from the time of Eden. The Sabbath was established in Eden, but we're going to jump forward to a time of approximately a little more than 3,000 years after Eden. We're turning to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He was constantly giving warning to his people and pleading with them to follow God and to walk in his ways. We're turning to Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse 21. It says, Thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day. Neither do you any work, but hallow ye the Sabbath day, as I commanded your fathers. So Jeremiah is reminding them what the Lord said, to not carry forth a burden on the Sabbath day. Neither bring a burden out of your house. Now when we think of the word burden, what, what normally comes to mind? Oftentimes, we think of burdens in a physical sense, right? And in this sense, he was speaking of physical burdens. They were bringing things in, trying to sell on the Sabbath. And we as good Adventists, if I was to come in today and try and sell Bibles to everybody, you're going to tell me to get cracking, right? Now, there's nothing wrong with me selling Bibles. However, when I bring my own business into that holy, sacred time of the Lord, that's when it is a problem, amen? But I want you to look at this more in a spiritual sense as well. Not only, see, we're quick to say do not bring a physical burden into the church. When we invite a guest speaker, sometimes we allow them to set up a stall in the back and sell the products that they're promoting. Nothing wrong with that, right? But we make sure to tell them do not sell on the Sabbath. And any good Adventist already knows that. However, we're quick to do that with physical burdens. But how many times do we come to church with emotional and spiritual burdens? How many times do we get to church and start speaking to our friends about how nasty our boss was to us yesterday? How often do we get here and start speaking about all the troubles and burdens of our week? Now, we should be able to speak about the things that stress us with one another because we're a family, amen? This is what we're here for. We're here to support one another and to help each other along the way on this path to heaven. So never feel as though you can't speak to us. However, we should not bring our burdens in on the Sabbath day because we will not experience the rest that God wants us to experience on his Sabbath if we're constantly dwelling upon the negativities that happen during the week. If it happened in the week, leave it there. Do not carry the burden out of your house. What happened in your house before you came to Sabbath, leave it at the doorstep. 
and come into the church with a heart filled with praise and joy. And know that you can rest assured that whatever happened last week or whatever you're anticipating to happen this following week does not matter at this moment. At this moment, it's about you and God. Amen. Amen? You see, we live in a time where we need to be reminded of these things. So many times we come to church and we're stressing about the tension between America and North Korea. Will we go to nuclear war? Will there be a World War III? With all due respect, my friends, we should not worry about these things. Is there anything wrong with worrying them? Worrying with it? No. It can bring worry to us, but remember, it's all in God's hands. And at this moment, God wants you to rest in him. Moving on. Verse 23. Let's read verse 22 again, actually. It says, Neither carry forth a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, neither do you any work, but hallow ye the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. In other words, I commanded them before you, so follow in the steps of your forefathers. Verse 23, but they obeyed not, neither inclined their ear, but made their necks stiff, that they might not bear nor receive instruction. This sounds very much like us today, huh? If ever there was a stiff-necked people, it is us living today. And this really relates to me because I've always been a hard-headed young man. God is changing that by God's grace. I'm not as hard-headed as I used to be. Praise God for that. But people used to tell me, Justin, don't do it. I've done it. It didn't end well for me. My response was, hey, it may not have ended well for you, buddy, but I'm not you. But God has given us history over and over and over again. And he shows us the benefits of obeying him and the negative results of going astray from what he has commanded. But yet we have to find out for ourselves time after time what will happen if I disobey God this once. Verse 24, And it shall come to pass, if you diligently hearken unto me, if you diligently hearken unto me, saith the Lord, to bring in no burden through the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but hallow the Sabbath day to do no work therein. Notice this is conditional. He says, if you hearken unto me, this is what will happen, right? Verse 25, then shall there enter into the gates of this city kings and princes sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their princes, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall remain forever. God wanted to establish and bless his people, but it was depending on how they responded to his message. Has God not given us many messages that are conditional upon how we respond to them? It goes on to say in verse 26, and they shall come from the cities of Judah and the places about Jerusalem and from the land of Benjamin and from the plain and from the mountains and from the south, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices and meat offerings and incense and bringing sacrifices of praise unto the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Doesn't it sound like a beautiful thing? God was willing to prosper his people had they only hearkened unto the message at hand. 
Verse 27, we know this was not the case. It says, but if you will not hearken unto me to hallow the Sabbath day and not to bear a burden, even entering in the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then will I kindle a fire in the gates thereof, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Not a very good outcome. You see, God was willing to establish his people with beautiful promises had they only established themselves in the truth of that time. Unfortunately, it didn't end that way because exactly what came next was his 70 years of captivity in Babylon. They failed to take heed to the message of God and therefore, rather than blessings and prosperity, punishment came. You see, God does not punish us because he hates us. He does not punish us because he's waiting to punish our sins, but rather he lets the results of our own choice come to fruition so that we can learn a lesson that our way is not better than God's. We may appear wise in our own understanding, but he that trusts in his own wisdom is a fool. I could tell you that from experience. I've made many foolish decisions. And if I knew what I knew now, I never would have done it. I would have followed God's way the entire way, and I'd probably be somewhere else today. (laughs) But I praise God that he didn't hold those things against me, because he still allowed me to stand here and speak to you this morning. Amen. We're going to jump back to Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah. We're going to Nehemiah chapter 13. Beginning in verse 15. Nehemiah 13 and verse 15. We're told, In those days saw I in Judah some treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves and leading asses, as also wine grapes figs and all manner of burdens which they brought in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified them, I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. So this is speaking of a time after the captivity in Babylon. And what are the people doing? They've returned from captivity, but yet they're going back to the same thing that led them into captivity in the first first place. Hard-headed people we are. Nehemiah sees these people doing these things, and it says, I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. In other words, he spoke up. He saw it happening, and he said something about it. He rose up the standard. Verse 16, there dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of weir, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this that ye do, and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon the city? What evil is he referring to? The evil that they were just stepping away from. And he's saying, are you guys crazy? You're going right back to what led us 
into all of this commotion in the first place? Have you not learned your lesson? Yet you bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. Instead of learning your lesson, you're bringing more wrath upon us. Verse 19, And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded the gate, that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants sat at the gate that there should no burden be brought in on the Sabbath. So the merchants and sellers of all kind were lodging without Jerusalem once or twice. You see, they got smart. They said, you're not going to let us into the city. You're not going to let us into the church to sell what we need to sell on the Sabbath. It's all right. We'll wait outside. And when your good, law-abiding church members come outside these doors, we got them. Right? But notice this, verse 21. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge you about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hands upon you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. You know, I laugh every time I read that verse. <laughs> he says, if I catch you doing this again, I'm going to lay hands on you. Get out of here. You see, sometimes we may come off as harsh, but in reality, all we are trying to do is raise up the standard that God has given us. Amen? And when we start to lift up the standards of the Word of God, there will always be those who say, you're too conservative. You're too strict. Well, I'm pretty sure heaven's going to be pretty strict too. And if we're preparing for that day, we need to lift up the standards of God even now. Amen? And it's not about us trying harder in our humanity to conform our lives to these standards, but it's about the work that God is doing in our lives to bring us into conformity to these standards. Amen? You see, it's not about conservative or liberal. I hate those words. Conservative and liberal bring so much division into the church. It's not about who's conservative, who's liberal. It's about who wants to live in accordance to the will of God. Amen? Sometimes we have to lift up that standard high. And you see, that there's many times, and I'm not speaking about Hillcrest, but I'm speaking about the church in general. There's many times where we think, as a people, that if we want to reach the youth of the world, we need to lower our standards to that of the world so they feel at home in the church. The reason they're coming to church in the first place is because they're tired of the world and they want something different. If you start lowering your standards to that of the world, the youth are not going to come into the church but rather they're going to go to the world because the world does it better anyway. If I want to hear rock music, I'm not coming to church to hear rock music. I'm going to go to a concert in the world because they do it better than you. When we lower the standards to the world, the world is not, is not uh, converted to the church, but rather the church is converted to the world. Therefore, we need to hold the standards high People in the world are looking for something different. And if we don't show them something different, then what is the purpose of them coming to our church? You see, Nehemiah understood this, and he says, we're not lowering our standards. If I catch you again breaking what we have established, I will lay hands on you. Verse 22 
verse 22. And so I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the generations of thy mercy. Nehemiah saw the issue. He raised up a standard against it, and then he said, hey, you know what? He commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves. In other words, he said, hey, you may have defiled the Sabbath. You may have gone against the will of God, but remember, there is forgiveness with God. Amen? You may have caught yourself not doing the will of God, but remember that he is merciful. Sanctify and cleanse yourself and return to the Lord, and he will be merciful unto you. Amen? But we need to keep the standards. Amen? It is not our standards that we are setting, but we are simply obeying the word of God. Amen? Turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Mark 2, verse 27. The Word of God tells us in Mark 2 and verse 27, And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, the reason many people have broken the Sabbath throughout history is because they do not understand this concept that the Sabbath was made for men and not men for the Sabbath. In other words, if something is made for you, you have rulership over it. It is given you as a gift, right? We were not given to the Sabbath to be enslaved to the Sabbath hours as many look at it. People are quick to look at the watch and say, when's sunset? I've got to go to the grocery store. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. But the Sabbath was made for men, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, it was given for us as a gift for us to enjoy, not to feel as though we are enslaved to it. Amen? Amen. We're told in Patriots and Prophets, in Eden, God set up a memorial of his work of creation and placing his blessing upon the seventh day. God established and built up this Sabbath day as a memorial. There's many memorials throughout every city and town that you pass through. We have memorials for the veterans who lost their lives in war, for those great men who laid down their lives for the freedom of their countries. We have memorials for those who made it through alive and are here with us today. There's memorials for many different things, but one of the greatest or the greatest memorial that has ever been established was the Sabbath day because it was a memorial of creation. Had it not been established, had there not been a creation and a memorial to remember that creation, we would not be here today. Turn with me to the book of Genesis. We already know this, but we're going to go over it again. We're going to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I love the way the Bible introduces itself to us. It does not ask the question, do you believe in God? It just assumes that you already believe in him and is telling you the story, whether you believe it or not, this is what happened. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Point blank. Verse 27, we go through, we see all these different days of creation and what happened. 
And then in verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. The very next thing, this was the crowning act of God's creation, creating mankind, was his final act in the creation. And then next, in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he had rested from all the work which he had created and made. Amen? Now, God did not rest because he was tired, but he rested because everything was complete and perfect, the way that he designed it, the way that he saw it fit to be made. Amen? And he put a seal upon that day. That was his seal of perfection. That was his stamp. Every artist signs the work. The Sabbath was a signature of God's creation that this has my seal of approval upon it. Amen? When we enter into the Sabbath hours, we are to remember that all around us is a gift from God, and it is simply lent to us. Therefore, we need to be good stewards of our money, our environment, and everything else that God has seen fit to give us. Amen? It's not ours to do as we please with it. But one thing I want you to notice this morning is that the Sabbath is very closely linked to creation science. The Sabbath is very closely linked to creation science. As a matter of fact, you cannot truly keep God's Sabbath and not believe in a literal six-day creation. Because every week when you keep the Sabbath holy, it reminds you that the earth was created in six literal days. With that being said, the Sabbath acknowledges God as our creator. It acknowledges him as the great mind of wisdom behind everything that we see. Amen? When you look at our iPhone 7, you don't say this just happened by chance, but yet there are many today who look at humanity, which is far more complex than anything that a human being can create, and they say, we were just the result of chance. But the Sabbath reminds us that God was a mastermind behind it all. As a matter of fact, we're told in Patriots and Prophets, page 336, paragraph 1, the Sabbath as a memorial of God's creative power points to him as the maker of the heavens and the earth. Hence, it is a constant witness to his existence and a reminder of his greatness, his wisdom, and his love. Now catch this part, please. Had the Sabbath always been sacredly observed, there could never have been an atheist or an idolater. Had the Sabbath always been observed the way that God established it in the Garden of Eden, there could not have been an atheist. Nobody could have rose up amongst us to say there is no God because we're keeping the very day that testifies that he is our creator. Amen? So therefore, this atheism that we're up against, which is a very common mindset, in our society today is the direct result of God's people not keeping a Sabbath the way that we should. Amen? We have nobody to blame but ourselves. You see, the Jews kept the Sabbath also. As a matter of fact, when it came to the letter of the law, the Jews were professionals at keeping the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, they made up so many hundreds of laws that didn't even exist in the Bible when it came to the Sabbath. 
I kid you not, they even said, do not spit on the Sabbath, lest you cause a seed to germinate and you break the Sabbath by working on God's holy day. You may think it's crazy, but it's true. You see, they understood the letter of the law, but they didn't understand the spiritual side of the law. And I believe many today fall into that same trap as did the Jews. We keep the letter of the law. We say, oh, I got to keep the Sabbath holy. I can't do this. I can't do that. I got to come to church on the Sabbath and whatnot. And we make it more of a routine than a spiritual day of relationship as it was meant to be. Amen? You see, the Jews kept the letter of the law to the T. But they lacked the spiritual side. They lacked the true meaning of the Sabbath. And when Jesus came, they kept the Sabbath, but they crucified the very Lord of the Sabbath. How many of us claim to be keeping the Sabbath, but daily we crucify the Lord of the Sabbath by our behavior and our constant seeking of our own will and our own desires and sins? You see, what I want you to understand this morning is that your attitude towards the Sabbath is a reflection of your attitude towards the Lord of the Sabbath. Amen? You see, when we learn to reverence the Sabbath, it is because we reverence the Lord of the Sabbath. If we have no love and respect for God, how can we love and respect the day that he has given as a symbol of his relationship between us and him? We're told in Ezekiel 20, verse 20, that the Sabbath was given as a sign between God and his people. Therefore, when we keep the Sabbath, we are showing that we truly are God's people. Amen? Amen. She says in Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, 351, the Sabbath is a golden clasp that unites God and his people. It's a day of relationship, my friends. How many of you are married? How many of you take your anniversary seriously? I guess after some years it may fade away, right? It may not become as important. You're like, well, I've been with you for so many years now. I guess we just celebrate our being together every day, right? <laughs> but you know, an anniversary is given because it's a symbol of the relationship that exists between you and the one that you love. And if you truly love that person, you remember that anniversary. You remember that day that is a memorial of the love that you have established, right? God has given us a weekly anniversary of his love, which is his Sabbath day. And the more we learn to love God, the more holy we will keep his Sabbath day. You see... The Sabbath is a reminder that God is the one who sanctifies us. Therefore, the way we treat the Sabbath is an indicator of how God is working in our lives. We will go from the point where we constantly look at our clock and say, when's this, service, Sabbath, when's this sermon over? When's sunset coming so I could get out of here? And we'll get to the point where when we see that sun going down, we'll say, Lord, why couldn't you give me a few more hours? When we truly learn to love God, we will learn to love his Sabbath day. Amen? Amen? You see, signs have been given all throughout the Bible. Turn with me quickly to Genesis chapter 17. 
Genesis chapter 17 and verse 11. The word of God says, And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be for a token of the covenant between me and you. Circumcision in the Old Testament was given as a symbol between God and his people. It was a symbol of relationship, amen? Or better yet, it was a symbol of heart religion. Now turn with me to the book of Romans. Paul emphasizes on this a little bit. We're going to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 and verse 28. And the word of God says, For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Amen. You see, Paul is showing us that that circumcision means nothing without heart religion. It's just the outward expression of what is going on inwardly. Circumcision is no longer a symbol between God and his people, but we have the Sabbath, which is a symbol of that heart religion. You see, the Sabbath then becomes a tool of seeing where we are with God. Amen? The greater we honor his Sabbath, we see that we are growing in love and respect for God. Not only that, but as we'll see shortly, there's more to the Sabbath than what we commonly hear about or study. We're told in Testimonies for the, six, um, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, 353, far more sacredness is attached to the Sabbath than is given to it by many professed Sabbath keepers. The Lord has been greatly dishonored by those who have not kept the Sabbath according to the commandment, either in the letter or in the spirit. He calls for a reform in the observance of the Sabbath. Amen. God is calling us this morning for Sabbath reform. We know it all so well. We're quick to teach our friends who know not of the Sabbath that the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord. But have we learned to truly appreciate and have we learned the true meaning that God has set apart this day for? You see, the Sabbath is not just another day. We tend to label it as just the other day that we tack on to the end of our six-day work week. The only difference is we go to church on that day. But, beloved, it's so much more than that. You see, if ever there was a time that our church needed revival and reformation, that time is now. And God is calling us for reformation. He gave us dress reform. He told us to dress presentably, that we cause not our brother or sister to stumble. He gave us health reform, that we may bring glory to God in the way we eat. And he is calling us to Sabbath reform, that we may come back to the roots of that day which he has given us. Amen? We are told in the same book, Testimonies for the Church, Volume 6, 350, Paragraph 1, He who from the heart obeys the fourth commandment 
will obey the whole law. He is sanctified through obedience. When we learn to keep the Sabbath from our heart, we will learn to keep the whole law from our hearts because the Sabbath is a reflection of true heart religion. I want to end with this thought. In the same book, 353, paragraph 4, says, All through the week we are to have the Sabbath in mind and be making preparation to keep it according to the commandment. We are not merely to observe the Sabbath as a legal matter. Amen? We are to understand its spiritual bearing upon all the transactions of life. We are to regard the Sabbath as a sign between them and God, showing that he is the God who sanctifies them. Sorry, all who regard the Sabbath as a sign between them and God, showing that he is the God who sanctifies them, will represent the principles of his government. They will bring into daily practice the laws of his kingdom. Daily it will be their prayer that the sanctification of the Sabbath may rest upon them. Every day they will have the companionship of Christ and will exemplify the perfection of his character. Every day their light will shine forth to others in good works. You see, we are told that every day throughout the week we should have the Sabbath, the end goal in mind. When Sunday comes, we should already be making preparation for next Sabbath. And each day, if we could learn to keep ourselves in a mindset that we are working towards the end goal, the end result, which is the Sabbath day of rest, it will put us in a state of mind to daily be preparing for the second coming of the Lord. Amen? If we could learn to keep the Sabbath the way that God intended, it will keep us in a constant mindset and reminder that we need to be preparing for something else, which is the second coming of our Lord and Savior. Amen? My appeal is simple to you this morning. If you hear what has been preached this morning, you may have been in the church for many years, you may be hearing this for the first time. All I ask is that we learn to obey the commandment as more than just another day, but as a symbol of our relationship between us and God, and that in making preparation each day for this sacred hour, we would in turn learn to prepare for the second coming of our Lord and Savior on that glorious morning. If that's your desire, I'm just going to ask for you to stand with me as we pray.